Good morning, church. It's good to be here with you today. This is my first time in church since March. My wife, Sherry, is a frontliner. She's a nurse, and she's a hospice nurse, so we're just staying close to the house. We did go on a family vacation with 30 people in the house, so we went with a little fear and trepidation, tried not to hug relatives. It's really hard, though, isn't it? And uh, I've been asked this morning a couple times, so I'll tell you what's going on in India. We are not going. We have not traveled. My last trip was in March, and I canceled it the same weekend that Trump shut the world down on this side, and they've shut the world down on that side. I think I could maybe get a flight to India, but I would have to go there and quarantine for two weeks, and I'm not sure where they'd put me, and I'm not sure I want to know. And, uh, and then after I got there for two weeks, then I would travel in country to the next place and I would have to quarantine again for two weeks. And then finally we'd get to work for a couple weeks and then I would come home and quarantine for two weeks. So it would take eight weeks to do two weeks of training. So if you had asked me a year ago, people did, are, are you going to do online training? And I would always say, no, this is a relational ministry. A lot of people cannot learn just from watching videos and doing online. Um, uh, uh, it's hard. You can't just send videos when they have to be translated. People ask me that, can't you just tape what you're sending? N not if it's being translated, that doesn't work. And so it's turning out that Zoom is a great blessing. We've spent about $20,000 uh, providing equipment. We're putting people in groups of 10 because that's the limit. They're still under lockdown. And so they can get in groups of 10. So we're training groups of 40 at a time in groups of 10. We've provided a laptop, a television, and, and a modem, for uh, a wireless modem for each station. And so we started that at the beginning of July, and so far we've successfully done three, and uh, we have two running at the same time this week. And so uh, we believe this is going to work really well. It already is so far, and so it's actually going to change what we're going to do. Starting, I'm not going to travel the rest of the year. Nobody on our team is. We're going to travel next year, hopefully, Lord willing. And our travel will be about development because now that we're training from home, we can get people like Raglan involved and Weber and they can sit in their houses instead of telling me no, they won't go. He can now say, yes, I'll, I'll teach from my house. His wife would be right there and she'll be okay. You see how that works? And so nobody can say no anymore, so that's the good part. And then, and then uh, so our travel will be more about development. So we actually see the Lord expanding. And then one of my ideas is to get churches to own one of our partners. And so we would schedule the elders and the, and the pastors and the leaders from your church to help and lead training in just one location. And so you'd get to know folks there and your church would own one of those ministries and we'll get churches to do that and we'll be able to multiply what we're doing. Isn't that good? So this morning our text says God is great and good. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. Say it with me. God is great. Say, come on. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. Isn't it amazing that a simple child's prayer at dinner encapsulates the gospel? And you can teach your children about the character of God 
just from, the, the, from your table at night, and it doesn't even have to be a complex prayer. The gospel is so simple. Even children get it sometimes better than we get it. Our God is gracious, faithful, and a just Savior who is both great and good. If God, if God was great but not good, well, then he'd be a fearsome tyrant waging war against a, a, defenseless, a defenseless world that couldn't stand up against him. And the problem, on the other hand, is if God was good but he wasn't great, well, then he'd be just a, a toothless grandfather who, who means well, but his social security runs out before the end of the month. He, he, he would be, for those of you my, old, my age, you'll get this, he would be George Burns from Oh God, the movie, wishing people well, but powerless to overcome evil. It would be up to us then to save ourselves if God were good and not great. So the good news is, is that God is both. He's powerful and fearsome and worthy to be worshiped and praised. And he is good and forgiving and loving. And he doesn't forget your name. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. hallelujah. David says every day, every day, I will bless you and praise your name forever. So he's so welled up with praise that he writes this, this psalm of descriptive praise. It, it's an acrostic poem. I don't know if the notes in the ESV say that, but this is an acrostic poem, which means that each, each verse begins with the, the subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. An acrostic poem is a great way to pile up overwhelming joy and adoration. Children learn to do that in kindergarten if they're in a little Bible program. They'll learn an A verse and then a B verse and then a C verse. So David pulls all of those ABCs together, those Aleph, Bet, and Gimels. He piles up overwhelming joy and adoration. And you know what's amazing about this poem is that there's only one command in it. It's all indicatives. There's only one imperative in the whole psalm, and it's the last phrase where David calls us to join him in worship. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this psalm, and we're going to rejoice at the greatness and the goodness of our Savior. I have four things I want to share with you this morning, four aspects of the gospel that I want you to see and rejoice over. The first is obvious. God is great. Let's look again at verses 3 to 7. I don't know if they're putting them up there or not. I'll, I'll read it for you. Look at verse 3 if you're following along. There it is. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. And they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. And they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your faith, of your righteousness. Beloved, God's greatness is unsearchable. Paul says, 
Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. That's the doxology that Paul writes at the end of Romans 11 after he has spent 11 chapters in Romans writing about all the work that Christ has done for us and in us and through us, he just breaks forth into praise. He says, he, like David, he can't help but praise God when he thinks about the atonement and, and our saving God. And he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen? So, in India, one of the courses that we teach in our series of about 15 or 16 courses, about halfway through, we get to a course called The Doctrine of God. And uh, you have to take this in seminary. This is the first, well, th this one has a really thick book that you have to read. Uh, back in my day, it was by uh, Burkhoff. And uh, so when we teach that course, one of the things we teach is the attributes or characters of God. Ed, Ed already mentioned that this morning. And God's attributes are, are divided into two parts, his shared attributes and his unshared attributes. In other words, things that his attributes that he shares with us, some of them are, but some of them he can't share with us because they're his alone. Theologians call these his communicable and his incommunicable attributes. That's my doctrine lesson for the morning, the communicable and incommunicable attributes. So David is thinking here about his incommunicable, about his unshared attributes, things that are his alone. This is about the greatness of God, the things that are thought about and dreamed about and, and even named as we make a list, but really they're unknowable. At the top of the list is the word aseity. That's a $20 word that means God is self-existent. You and I are not self-existent. You know this, right? You can't make yourself live. You do, but you're not in charge of it. We need help even breathing, and putting on a mask is showing you just really how frail you are when it comes to the breathing department. Um, Sherry's a hospice nurse, home hospice so we talk about death a lot in my house. And I'll tell you that, and she would tell you that when you get to the end, willpower will not keep you alive. It doesn't work like that. But God's not like that, you see. God doesn't need help because he is life itself. He is self-existent. It's, it's even impossible to imagine what it must be like, right? Where you don't have to worry about your next breath with a mask on. But, but beloved, the incredible thing is, is he shares himself with us. He is life. That's what the John 1 says about the gospel, that Jesus is life. The second thing on our list is that God is transcendent. That, that means that God is above all things. He's really big and powerful and strong. He rules the universe. Every atom, every cork at its smallest, at its biggest, there are 100 billion galaxies that we found because of the Hubble. And each one of those has, they say, over 100 billion stars. And the Lord oversees it all. Not only your smallest breath, but all that expands. He is imminent which means God is everywhere all the time. That's the one that hurts my head. I don't, 
I don't know how it's possible. He's not a tree, but he's here. He's not me, but he's around. And in the psalm, it says he is near to all who call on him. He, he sticks closer than your best friend ever could. He is immutable, which is a big word that means he never changes. He is a rock. He, he's a fortress, and his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He is eternal. He lives forever in the past. He has no starting place, and he lives forever in the future, and that's because time has no hold on him. He created time. You know what the definition of eternity is? When you think about heaven, you think about forever, right? What's the definition of forever? Well, that's how long it will take you to fully enjoy the pleasure of God's presence. That's the definition of eternity. And, and so David says, God is so great, I'm going to tell everybody I can. I'm going to tell my parents. I'm going to tell my children. I'm going to tell my friends. I'm going to tell my colleagues. I'm going to tell my neighbors. When, when our kids were young, Back when we used to sit around the table together, they all lived at home. Now they're all grown. And at night at the dinner table, we would, we would talk. And, and uh, it, it was formal. It was informal discussion about the gospel. And one of our favorite things to do is I would ask the question, what's the best thing that happened today? And what's the worst thing that happened today? And so everybody got a turn, adults and child alike, to answer that question. And you see, that was a faith-building project on our part. We were building a biblical worldview as we, were, as we were learning to declare God's faithfulness and his preserving power. Because even when bad things happen, how is it that you are preserved? How is it that you stay faithful? It's only because God is doing the work. So the prosperity gospel says only thing about the good. The, the real gospel says God preserves you during the bad. And so when I teach people how to pray, this is part of discipleship to learn how to pray, how to use the Lord's Prayer. One of the things I tell them to do, and I would tell you to do this, is to keep track of the answers to your prayers. Write them down. You know, a few years ago, I realized I wasn't writing them down anymore. I had been, but I quit doing it. And I realized I'd forgotten all the answers to prayers. I, because, see, I want you to meditate on God's wondrous works in your life and the people you pray for. And I want you to realize when you've prayed specific things that God answers those specific prayers. You see, he shares his glory with us by hearing and answering our prayers. And so when you read through the book of Psalms, what you'll find is that all these songwriters, they, they love to sing about what God does to specifically save his people. They, do get, they don't get tired of declaring the same songs again and again. I, I think I knew all the songs we sang this morning, and, and, and they're not tiresome to repeat them because they're oh so good because they're about a great and, and a good God. And so, so the psalmists are celebrating how God answers prayers. And so you want to be able to do that as well. So I encourage you to keep a list of all the things that God does to answer your prayers. You know, it used to be we talked about sports, so pastors learn to use sports illustrations. I, I thought I'd put one in here just because, you know, old times' sake. I haven't, I haven't watched ESPN. Has, any, has anybody watched ESPN? No. 
No, no, nobody's watching. Well, in sports, people like to talk about the GOAT. You know what the GOAT is? The greatest of all time. It's an acronym. The greatest of all time, the GOAT. And in basketball, they're always arguing about whether it's Michael Jordan or LeBron James. I think there was a vote for Jordan this year because they put out a movie about Michael Jordan. He's not such a nice guy, though, we found out. But he is very committed, right? And so, beloved, Jesus is the GOAT. You know this already. He's the greatest of all time. I don't know that he played basketball, but he raised the dead, and he healed the sick. <laughs> and he's making his name famous in every nation and every generation. David says that God is so great that he will declare his praises, that he will meditate on the works of God. I think what that means is that he's reading his Bible and thinking about it every day. He's reading the books of Moses and the stories of God's salvation. And, 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 and then he, he says he will speak. And then it says he will sing. All of these things he's doing as a response of God's greatness. Now the question this morning for us is, is that you, beloved? Are you like David, pouring forth in praise every day? Are you meditating on his works? Is that the nature of your relationship with God? Are you, you spending even just five or ten minutes reading from the Bible every day? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I'm like that. I'm prone to sing my own praises. Am I the only one? I, I, and I often meditate, when I think about God, I meditate on my obedience and my good deeds. Do, do you do that too? Are you like me or are you like David? You're thinking about what God has done, you're thinking about what you've done. Hmm. Hmm. Second thing I wanted to show you this morning is that God is good. Look at verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. You know, back in the book of Exodus, back in Exodus th chapter 32, there's a, there's a story about how the people of God have come to Mount Sinai and they're freshly there and then Moses disappears for a while to go to the mountain to have a Zoom meeting with God. And, and, uh, and so Moses is on the mountain in the cloud and, and so he's been gone for a while because he spends, I think, 40 days up there and so the people are getting a little restless so they go ahead and decide we might as well start breaking the commandments early and often. And so they, they, they break the second commandment right off the bat, which of course is a violation of the first commandment. So we're just rocking and rolling on the first two right away. And they collect all their earrings and their jewelry and they, make, they have Aaron make golden calves. I love the way Aaron says it when Moses comes back. He says, they gave me the jewelry, I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. It was just amazing. Now, I, I want you to remember that they, they were worshiping these golden calves. That they, they weren't worshiping other gods. Don't think of it like that. They're worshiping Jehovah. 
This is called syncretism, when you mix the, the righteous and the unrighteous together. You, this is how you do your own thing, is you do what you want, but it's in the name of Jesus, right? That's what we ask, what would Jesus do? Because we can answer whatever we want, and that way we can do whatever we want. And so, so they're guilty of syncretism. They're worshiping the calves in the name of Jehovah. And so God is going to wipe them out. And that's what he says. I mean, they're not even keeping the covenant for a, a couple months. It's, it's just over already. And so Moses reminds God that that would be bad for his reputation. And he prays for them. And, and, and so God prays for, Moses prays for God's mercy. And then he boldly makes this request. I don't know if we have it on the screen or not. It's from Exodus 33, is it up there? There it is, look. Moses says, he prays, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Jehovah. Remember, that's God. When you see Lord in all caps in your Bible, that's where God's name is, Yahweh, or depending on how you put the vowel markers in the Hebrew, it's often said Jehovah. That's what I say because that's what they say in India. It's in their Bible, Jehovah. So that's the way I say it now, Jehovah. That's what it says. I, 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 in the New Testament, it's Father. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Jehovah. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But... You can't see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And so then they have a little discussion about how they can work out this meeting. It, it, like I said, it's, a, it's like a Zoom meeting. God's going to hide him with his hand. I, I don't know how that works, the metaphysics of it, but God's going to make sure that they're not exactly together at the same time in the same place so that Moses can't see his face. And so they discuss that, and then here's what happens in Exodus 34, just the next chapter. And so Jehovah passed before him and proclaimed, Jehovah, Jehovah, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So so now you know where David got this line in the psalm that we just read right there in, in uh, verse 9. It's from Moses. It's from God's mouth himself. It is in the midst of God's forgiving grace. And that's what David's celebrating. You know, the worst sin that you and I can commit is treason against God. That's what they were doing. They were turning away to worship idols of their own imagination, but pretending that they were worshiping the true God. Meditating, they were meditating on some other power. And, and, and that's what Adam did in the garden. He, he focused on the boundaries that God had given him instead of the bounty of God's presence and glory. And that's how sin always comes. Beloved, whatever you desire, whatever you seek for comfort, when you are sad or lonely or hurting or grieving 
or depressed or broken, whatever you seek, even when you're joyous, to, to work through your joy or your grief, if it's not Jesus, then it's an idol. It, it could be your family. It, it could be a good romance novel. It, it could be success at work on a day-to-day -day basis. It, it could be sex, even inside of marriage. It could be Netflix, right? It could be alcohol. It could be food, you know, the Corona-19. It, whatever it is, if you're seeking those things for comfort, then that's an idol and replaces God. And what we find here in the story of Moses and the song of David is that God is good to all. That's what David says. God is good to all. He offers forgiving grace to whoever wants it. Now, now there, there's a warning in these verses of forgiveness that if you hold on to your sin, questioning his goodness, shifting blame to him and others like Adam did, then your forgiveness is going to wait maybe a couple generations because that's what you're going to hand on to your children instead of the blessings of God and, and, and meditating on his works. And it's going to affect your tribe. But God is good to all. He shows no worldly partiality at all. He dispenses his forgiving grace to old and to young, to, to rich and, and to the poor, to black and to white, to, to men and to women, to, to bartender and to engineer, and even to prostitutes and, and, and Karens. To anyone who calls on his name in repentance. He, his mercy abounds everywhere. And, and that's a wondrous thing because I really need it. Amen. We really need his grace. And you see, the very nature of his kingdom is marked by his wondrous grace. David is Israel's king, but he knows that God is the real king, and he's celebrating the nature of God's kingdom in this psalm. Four times in verses 11 through 13, he mentions God's kingdom, and then he tells us exactly what kind of kingdom it is. It's a kingdom with a faithful and a just king. So that's the next part of the psalm. That's the third thing I wanted to show you, that God is faithful. Let's look at verse 13. It's the second part of the verse. It's in brackets because uh, it's a lot of details you don't want to know, but it, it is part of the psalm because it's one of the verses. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Isn't that good? The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds, Jehovah upholds all who are falling down. Our Father upholds all who are falling down and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Th did you notice it, beloved? Right there in verse 13. God keeps his promises. He is faithful in all his words, David says. God keeps his promises. You know, we're coming up on election season. 
It's a pretty strange one. There's no conventions, and who knows where Joe Biden is. But we're, we're coming up on election season, and one thing we know is that politicians don't keep their promises. But God does, and God is kind. You know, in the age of Twitter and Trump, we know that kindness is not the prevailing mood in our culture. Instead, we are a cancel culture that never forgives its antichrist. David is celebrating that in the kingdom of God, faithfulness prevails. And I want to be a part of that kingdom, don't you? Where, where those who are weak and weary from wearing masks and losing jobs and being locked down are not forgotten or dismissed or ignored, where, where the loss of loved ones is cared about in heavenly places, where, where we forgive each other instead of canceling each other, where the grieving are lifted up and their wounds are made whole. You know, lockdowns and closed schools really only benefit the educated and the upper middle class. You got to be, you got to know this. You know, in some counties, I, I'm in Douglas County. My, my county's not going back to school. We're going to do uh, some version of homeschooling over the Internet. And studies have shown that 30% of poor kids are not even going to show up. Educated kids will. Those of you who have homeschooled will do it. But poor kids, a lot of them won't. And, and so lockdown, if, you, if you're like me and you work from the home already, lockdown is just a little twist of the norm. But for some people, they've lost their jobs. Educated people get to keep their jobs for the most part. So, so that, it's still benefiting us. But, but poor people, poor people lose their jobs and some people have lost their businesses. There's so many restaurants that have gone out of business. But you see, in the kingdom of God, the poor share the table with the rich. That's the great promise. That, that, that's right out of Psalm 22. That's the victory chant. You can go home and read Psalm 22. The first two-thirds of it are the chant of weariness where, 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 where uh, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you get to about verse 18 or 19, and the whole thing shifts to the resurrection and to a victory chant. And Jesus is celebrating the kingdom. And it says, the poor eat and are satisfied. What grace. And then it says, the prosperous eat and worship. Nobody's even taking grace for granted in the kingdom of God. Poor and rich share God's table together. And I believe when we get to the feast of Jesus at the end of all things, he's going to be the chief of the waiting staff because he's a servant king who loves us with a servant king's heart. In the song of Hannah, uh, Baron, you remember Baron Hannah who can't have children and her and, and the, the other wife, there's two wives. The other wife has about five, I think. And she's, Hannah's pretty disgusted with her life. And when finally God answers her prayer and gives her Samuel, who's one of the greatest in the kingdom, in her song in 1 Samuel 2, she, says, she sings this. The bows, you know the bow? The bow of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. 
And then a couple verses later, she says, The barren has borne seven children, but she who has many children is forlorn. In other words, in the kingdom of God, there's a reordering things, and the broken are not forgotten. And sometimes those who have standing in worldly things flip to the bottom of the world unless they hold on to Christ. And so the, the, the poor are, and the weak and the broken are elevated. And that is incredible good news. And then you get to Mary's song. This is all over your Bible. You get to Mary's song. And here's just a little part. I don't know if we have it or not from, from uh, Luke chapter 1. There it is. He has shown strength with his arm. She's singing about God, our Savior. He has scattered the poor, the, the proud, not the poor. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And you'll see that in each of the songs of, in Luke 1 of the Messiah's songs. Beloved, I've been voting for 40 years and, and, and I no longer approach these elections with hardly any hope. But in the kingdom of God, all eyes look to Jesus in hope because he remembers your name. And then the fourth thing I wanted to show you is that God is just. Not only is he faithful, but he's just. Look at verse 17. The word righteous and the word just in your Old Testament and New Testament are the same Hebrew and Greek word. You just have to let the context decide. It probably says righteousness in your text, but it should be just. Um, I don't want to do Ecclesiastes yet. Do we have... Do we have the psalm, Psalm 145, verse 17? If we don't, I'll do it. <clears throat> Jehovah is just. There it is. Verse 17. Jehovah is just in all his ways, in kind in all his works. Jehovah is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Our Father preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. So God is both just and kind. Our Father is just and kind. I've noticed that right now with all the protests going on, some of them violent, some of them crazy, that some of our big city mayors are trying to pander to the protesters and they want to be thought of as really understanding. They're down with the struggle. So they, that's, that's what they're going after is they want to be thought of as kind. Now, the people that are suffering, they, they don't seem too kind to me. But you notice what Trump wants. What does Trump want to be thought of? He's the tough guy. He comes and he saves. I'm sure that we're going to hear that all fall. Just watch something other than the news. You'll be better off. Big, big, big city mayors want to be thought of as kind. Trump wants to be thought of as tough. Justice is the word of the moment. The reality is, is that God is both. You know, because of George Floyd, that's who kicked us all off his death. Uh, it was a tragedy, a travesty of justice. 
And because of him and others, we now know that some folks have not been treated with uh, justice by the police. Maybe you knew that already. I I hope so. And, And... And we have a long history of mistreating black folk and poor folk, and the Presbyterian Church is right in the midst of that. That's our heritage. Southern Presbyterians have been some of the worst in in slavery and Jim Crow. It's It's a horrible heritage that we have to repent of. You maybe didn't do it, but in Ezekiel 18, God says we're responsible for how we respond now. And you see, God desires justice through his people because he's just. And we don't want to follow worldly justice. We want to find out what the gospel says. And so we want to look at that very carefully. Along with, the, along with some of the other half a dozen men in my Friday prayer cell, there's about six or seven of us that meet for prayer every Friday. We used to meet in the mall in Douglasville. Now we meet by Zoom. And uh, so we've been, we've been for about a year mentoring inmates at the jail, each one of us, at the Douglas County Jail. Man, I got to tell you that our system is major skewed against the poor. It, it used to be just against, primarily against black folks, but it's, it, it's skewed against the poor altogether. Because you see, if you were arrested, most likely you can raise bail and hire a lawyer. Now, it would hurt to spend the money that way, but you would do it to get out of jail and to get good representation. But you see, poor people are stuck. No bail. They barely ever see their government-provided lawyer because that person has way too many cases. You know, many poor inmates serve more time waiting for their hearing than their sentence would be when they actually get to see a judge. So they just get to walk out for time served because they've served more time already than they would have gotten. Did you know that? Right now, we have men stuck in the Douglas County Jail whose hearings were scheduled for the first week of April. And they are on lockdown 20 hours a day because they can't see a judge because they're too poor to afford bail. They couldn't even get a bail hearing now. So here, now you can put up Ecclesiastes 3. Here's what Solomon says about it. He says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. You know, I'm fairly certain that defunding the police will not bring about greater justice. Maybe increasing their salaries and boosting their training and being more selective would help. But, but the real hope that we have, beloved, is that nothing is unseen. That's what we're celebrating in this passage from Solomon. Nothing is unseen. Every secret sin done, in, done in, in secret places in public, in a crowd, or in the quietness of your home. Every secret sin is seen. God knows. Every evil thought, God knows. Every unjust beating, God knows, even if it doesn't make the, the press anymore. And the good news is every good deed. He knows as well, even those done in secret. It's all seen by the God who judges the righteous and the wicked. Now listen, 
Beloved, God answers our prayers for justice. That's what he's saying right here in this text. He is just, and part of his justice is that he answers our prayers. It's in two lines right there in the, in the psalm. Through missional prayer, you see, we become more like Jesus, a people of justice and kindness. That's what we want. We want to be like our master, a people who hear the cry of the weak and the broken and show mercy. That's the worst part about the lockdown in church, and that's what I can't stand about not being here every Sunday, is I miss my people. I miss the people of God about hearing their stories and about giving a good hug. Don't you just miss that? It's horrible. But, beloved, God preserves those who fear him. That's what the psalmist celebrates. And here's the good news. We cannot lose this battle with the dark world. We cannot lose because Jesus has already won it. And that's why we pray. We don't pray. We're not people of prayer because we're hoping to win. We pray because we cannot lose. Not so, and, and, and we pray not so that everything will be nice and rosy. That's not the way it works in a foreign land when you're an alien, and that's who we are. We're aliens and strangers. That's what the Bible says, strangers in a strange land. And David is reminding us that God must preserve us because it's often so hard. It's hard to love your neighbor as yourself, amen? And I'm sure there's some marriages going under because people are stuck together and they can't love each other well. Easier to go off to work. It's hard to forgive others again and again. It's hard to put away your pride and help those who have made bad choices. It's impossible to love the marginalized without prayer when you're not part of that class. I can't do it, and you can't do it. Let me tell you a, a, a little testimony to the Lord's grace. Our Friday morning prayer group prayed for a year that we would love the poor and the marginalized because nobody in the group was poor or marginalized. And, you know, and our classes are separated by neighborhoods, so there aren't any poor people on my street. There might be people in debt, but they're not poor or they wouldn't live on my street. Isn't that right? Isn't that how it works? And so, so we started praying for this, not having a clue what to do. And what happened is the Holy Spirit moved us to begin to mentor men at the jail to do something most of us had never done and probably didn't want to do. And so we began to mentor at the jail. It's been such a blessing. It's impossible impossible to love your neighbor enough to share the gospel with them unless you first love them in prayer. Because only the Holy Spirit can do that work in your life. It's impossible to walk with love when you're in the midst of personal and family suffering without prayer because only God can do it. That's how God preserves us, see? That's why that preserving grace is right here in the midst of answered prayer. He preserves us so that we can walk as sons of God seeking faithfulness and justice even though it's hard. Racial reconciliation will only happen through missional prayer with a change of our hearts and our lifestyles. All you have to do is look at Facebook or the church and you can see how segregated we are. The good news is, is that our great and gracious God is always near. He never forgets and he never walks away. Even when it's so hard that you don't know what to pray, he prays for you. Now, how good is that? 
That's pretty good. Sherry told me not to go too long, so I'm going to finish. I, I, I want to tell you about the, the bad news for just a minute. The bad news is, is that life is often difficult and we are forgetful. And, and it's hard to remember that God is great and good and faithful and just when you're scrambling and when you're struggling and when you're hurting. In fact, it's impossible to be faithful in your worship and in your life and in love without God's grace. So the only way to survive is to be like David and to meditate on God's grace. Beloved, if you're not regularly, even daily, meditating on the Bible and sharing Christ's glory in personal and then in community prayer and worship, I can tell you, you're not going to survive. We're going to lose people over this. Life's too hard. You won't make it. You can't make it without the grace of God revealed in Scripture. And instead of living from victory to victory, you're going to live from sorrow to sorrow. And like Adam, you're going to blame God and you're going to blame your wife or somebody else for your trouble and you'll be miserable. Now, you'll be a hit on Twitter because that's the land of misery, <laughs> joining, the, joining the blame game. But you won't forgive others, and you not, might not be forgiven in heavenly places. It's that bad. But there is good news, beloved. It, it's an incredible good news. We've been looking at this good news for the last 30 minutes. The good news is that the king has come. His name is Jesus. He is the greater King David. He, he suffered and was tempted more than any other person alive, and yet he was faithful in your place and mine. He meditated on the glory of God in my place and yours so that we would be able to join him in living a kingdom life of faithfulness and justice like our good and great king. Jesus died on a cross for our sins, even the sin of forgetfulness. And he rose from the dead to give us new life and new memories of his grace and new joy and unbreakable preserving grace. So I invite you to trust him today. You see, here's his promise. It's 1 John 1, 9. Look at that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. See those two words? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us. Hallelujah. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He forgives us countless sins, and he cleanses us from all injustice, and from hatred, and forgetfulness, and pride, and envy, and hurt, and grief, so that we can sing the song with David. Now, how good is that? That is amazing grace. So say it with me. God is great. Here we go. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Do it again and be loud. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen and amen. And that, my friends, is the glorious grace of the gospel. Let's stand and let's sing with King David. Now receive the blessing of God. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. Now this day and forevermore, go forth into the world to love and enjoy the Lord. Go in peace.